Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Welcome, dear listener, to another episode of Whining About History, where we whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of while literally drinking wine. It works on two levels. Mm-hmm. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for joining us today. We know you have a lot of options for your podcast listening pleasure, and we're glad that at this very moment, we are it. We're <laughs> in your ear holes. We are in your ear holes. We are on your playlist. We are in your car. We're right behind you. Look. Oh, no. <gasps> you didn't turn around Too fast slow. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm somewhere else, and you don't even know where. <laughs> Did I say I'm Emily? Oh. I'm Kelly. I just got chills. I don't know if they're good or bad chills, but here they are. Always good. So uh, it is February, and we are celebrating Black History Month as we do every year. And I'm just going to say our yearly disclaimer, this is not the only time of year that we cover Black women. It's just the extra special time of yeah, year. Yeah, it's just the time that we like really zero in on it because other people are encouraged to engage with black stories and learn more about black history. And we want to give you plenty of stuff to listen to. So here we are. If you want to hear more stories about black women, just listen, like seriously, pick an episode. Just go through our catalog. There's a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get started, I do have a bit of a say their name. So, um, where's my Instagram? Okay. So Sasha, our German correspondent who has offered to pronounce all of the German for us. Sorry. We haven't had any German yet. Well, we had that like one university name, but it was like for two seconds. And I was like, yeah, it's not worth bothering Sasha about. It's fine. It's fine. Sasha's probably over there in Germany like, why won't they contact me? (laughs) We're purposely trying to stay away from German. We will butcher the hell out of French. But now that we know we have like a German correspondent, we're like, oh, but now if I fuck it up, I really don't have an excuse. Right. So uh, she messaged us on Instagram and wrote, just listen to episode 42 about Sophie Scholl. And so for anyone who doesn't remember, Sophie Scholl and her brother were a part of the White Rose Nazi resistant movement. They were Mm -hmm. like passing out documentation that were revealing the Nazis or the monstrous bastards they were. They got caught and they were executed for it. And she was only like 20, 21 years old. That's really like, sad. She was like, really young. And it was like most of the group too. It wasn't just they, they were, Sophie yeah. Scholl and her brother. Yeah, but they were all very young. And it was very sad. Truly, truly the hero that we need but don't deserve. Uh, so apparently we were confused about where Bavaria is. She says, yes, Bavaria is part of Germany. Here called Bayern. I'm probably saying that. You should have asked her of pronunciation. You know what? She didn't send it to me, so this is on you, Sasha. (laughs) It is known for being the stuck-up, conservative, not very cool in general part of Germany. (laughs) Remember, these are Sasha's words, not mine. They always have high numbers uh, for right-wing parties and have laws against headscarves and in schoolrooms. Not cool, Bavaria. Come Mm -hmm. on. You make amazing chocolate. Now get your like social priorities in order. They are the only quote state from Germany that has other rules and laws than Germany as its whole. Uh, for example, another school system, different Corona regulations and va- and vacations. So seeing Bavaria as another country isn't that false. So Sasha's telling us that we weren't that far off. See, and I wonder... I mean, that was a long time ago. Um, But I wonder if we were wondering if it was like still part of Germany. You know what I mean? Because obviously like Germany, when they were when they were the Nazis, they took over a lot of countries. Right, right. They got most of them taken away from them. Yeah. Uh, Sasha goes on to say, also in my street in Berlin is the Sophie Scholl School that is known for smart but very alcohol-loving students. That's us. Yeah. That's us. That's where we would have gone to school. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. She is a key topic in all of Germany's history class agendas, and I bet you half of Germany knows her and the name White Rose, which is still used as a name of many left-wing youth groups. And there is a great movie about the last days of her from 2005. It's in German. But I bet they have a version with subtitles. Hope you have a good day. We are. 
We are Sasha because we heard from you and we love you. Yeah, we love you I thought much. that was super cool. And I love when we get listeners who have like a personal connection to a, a historical figure we cover. Like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a Sophie Scholl school on my street and we all learn about her in history class, which is amazing because her story really needs to be told. Maybe especially in Bavaria. I don't know. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Sasha, thank you so much for reaching out to us. We We always appreciate hearing from you. And we hope that you appreciate, uh, as you're catching up on episodes, our continued butchery of the Germanic language. Yeah, if you're only in the 40s, you got a long way to go. Oh my God. Before we're ever going to, you know, get to an episode where we need your assistance. There is a lot of linguistic butchery. And you know what? Honestly, I like to think of it as part of our charm. You get to hear me mispronounce uh, astronomical as astra, what did I say? Astronomical. 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 <laughs> Astrology. Because we no. always fuck those two up. <laughs> or I, we'll start, we'll be like astronomy. Astronomy. Joel. Shit. Joel. Uh, it's the Pisces in me. <laughs> I'm also a Pisces. <laughs> That's why you get along so well. We're each half of the fish in yeah, Pisces. Exactly. Together we make we one know. cohesive astronomical sign. Yay. <laughs> So, Kelly, I'm going to turn this over to you. because Me in the wine? Because that's a great idea. Yes. <laughs> I think I think we need to start drinking the wine because we need an excuse for how off the rails yeah. this episode's Alrighty. already become. Yeah. All right. Today we are drinking Carnivore. That is sexy. It is a Zinfandel from California, 2019. It says, <clears throat> meat was made for carnivore. Our boldly blended Zinfandel is a captivating complement to your favorite red meat, layered with notes of dark cherry, blackberry jam, and perfectly toasted oak. Indulge your primal side with carnivore. Mm. All, all I can think of is the uh, the Kesha song Cannibal, where she's like, I am a carnivore, something animal, cannibal, I'll eat you up, you better run. And she, like, makes a Jeffrey Dahmer reference. Cool. The, the, this was, like, the early days I'm of like, Kesha. I'm like, I do not remember this song. No, this was early. But, yeah. Carnivore animal, I am a cannibal. You can't sue me. Parody rules. Oh, shit. I should have ended on parody. This is a parody. Damn it. Okay, whatever. That's what happens when we do improv. All right. Cheers to Sasha. Cheers to Sasha and the Sophie Scholl School. Yeah, here's to our fellow alcoholics. Yes. Smart little alkies. Finally drinking wine again. Oh, God. I know it's been like three episodes, maybe four. If you throw the interview in there, yeah. Oh, my God. This is good. At least when we did our interview, she was drinking wine. Even though yes. we weren't. I know. She was. At least someone was drinking wine. But I good. had I had a, a thing immediately after. Which, by the way, walking in the woods at night uh, was great. It's really lovely to be able to walk in the woods and not be worried that you're about to be murdered. It's very relaxing. I'm always worried. Did I ever ever tell you, I saw this thing online where it was uh, women talking about what they would do if they didn't have to be afraid of like their safety when they're out in public. And so many of the women were like, I would love to do stuff at night. I would love to go for a walk at night. I would love to go grocery shopping at night because it's calm and peaceful. But unfortunately, night also brings out like super creeps. Super creeps. They're super creepy. (laughs) I like that we were same same wavelength. Yes, yes. Um, Our ovaries are glowing at the same time. It's beautiful. But I thought I thought that was so interesting because I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many things I would love to do. But I'm just like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Like I I can only go running at the gym because I need to have headphones in. I don't feel comfortable having headphones in when I'm running like in public or through a park because it feels like, oh, I'm a target because I'm not super aware. Like I just don't feel safe. I don't know. So Cheers to all the little night owls out there who wish that, you know, they could venture out into the night safely like me. This is a great return to wine, though. It is. This is, I love, I love Cab Sovs. I love Zinfandels. This is brilliant and beautiful, and I love it. Yeah, seriously. I'll eat this up. You better run. (laughs) So who? Me. You go, oh, thank you, God. I looked it up while you were talking. Good, because I just need to sit here with my wine and drink a little bit. 
<laughs> All right. So I'm covering Mammy Elizabeth Carthen. Okay. So born on November 23rd, 1921 um, in Mississippi. Uh, her family left the southern United States during the period when millions of African Americans were starting to migrate to the northern part of the United States, uh, primarily to the industrial cities. Um, in this in this case, her family moved to um, Illinois. So, Ooh. Mississippi to Illinois. She was about she was less than one when her family moved in the what was known as. The Great Migration. So she wasn't born of, of the corn, but she became of the she corn at a very of young the, age. The corn welcomed her in with its beautiful leaves wrapping around the golden right. god that is corn. And Argo, Illinois is, is very close to Chicago. Okay. So Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, her father found work at the Argo Corn Products Refining Company. Literally, like the corn was like, come to Illinois. That uh, actually, that is, uh, I think, why ninety percent of the population of Illinois is there because they had the corn called them. It's like children of the corn. Exactly, cries of the corn. So I was, I was wrong. So he went first in 1922, like very shortly after um, Mammy was born. But Mammy, her mother, and her brother John didn't come until two years later. Okay, so, so the, he, the he husband went, went, or the dad went, got himself a job, like got settled, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the family came. Yeah, that's good for him. Right. They settled into a predominantly African-American neighborhood in Argo that was kind of, you know, where a bunch of these people were migrating to. When Mammy was 13, her parents divorced, unfortunately. Devastated, she threw herself into her school. <gasps> oh, God. Okay. I, I thought you were going to say, like, threw herself off a bridge or into a no. river or something. Like... <laughs> I'm like, no, it can't be this sad this soon. Um, yes, yeah, so she threw herself into her schoolwork and excelled wonderfully. Uh, Alma, which was her mother, had high hopes for her only child. And although Alma said that in her day, quote, the girls only had one ambition to get married, she encouraged Mammy in her studies. So she was like, you know, in my day, you know, that's all you were for is you get married, you have babies, you continue, you know, mm-hmm. family lines. But she's like, no, you're smart. Go get shit done, my daughter. I wish that I could channel my trauma as constructively as she did. Oh, getting divorced? No, no, but she she like threw she was devastated by the by the divorce, so she like threw yeah. herself into her schoolwork. I know, but this this is her mom being like, you know, her mom was the one that said back in my day. No, 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 no oh, I okay. know, but I'm saying like you know, child of divorce, that's tough, and she's like, you know what? Instead of like smoking and drinking and acting out I'm going to do school it could have been if I do well enough in school maybe my parents will get back together don't say that that's a bummer just saying that's okay this podcast is our little trauma baby (laughs) this is my this is how I stay productive and creative with my trauma there's something in my wine oh no I got it fine anyways (laughs) Um, so it's like a surprise at the bottom of a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> yeah. Mammy was the first African-American student to make the A honor roll and only the fourth African-American student to graduate from the predominantly white Argo Community High School. Wow. So good on Mammy. Uh, at the age of 18, she met a young man from New, New Madrid, Missouri named Louis Till. He also worked at the Argo Corn Company with, you know, Mammy's father, or at least where Mammy's father used to work. Um, he was an amateur boxer and was very popular with the ladies. Mammy's parents obviously disapproved, thinking that he was very charismatic and too sophisticated for their daughter, which I'm like, like, are you calling him a womanizer in like a nice way? Or are you saying, saying he's your too daughter, good yeah. for your daughter? Like what? I, I can see that because have you ever met someone who just seems to have it super together to the point of suspicion where it's like, no one is, is this good. put together. No one is this charming and charismatic except serial killers. Or loony, like something right. is wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at her mother's insistence, um, Mammy broke off the courtship, but um, Till was very persistent and eventually won and they married on October 14th, 1940. They were both 18 years old at the time. So pretty young. Sorry. 
Wine's coming up in burps already. They had their only <laughs> child, Emmett, nine months later. Um, however, they did separate in 1942 after uh, Mammy found out that Till had been unfaithful. Shocker. Oh, no. So I get why you're saying the womanizer thing now. Yeah. That was his dirty little secret. He can't keep I it in his pants. I did say he was popular with women. Um, so trigger warning for spousal abuse. Um, Till uh, later came back and choked her close to Mammy to unconsciousness. She then responded by throwing scalding water at him. Eventually, she would go on to obtain a restraining order. And Till would violate this repeatedly until a judge forced him to choose between enlisting in the army or going to jail. Um, okay. Till obviously chose the army. Okay. Can we maybe not put a spousal abuser in the military and give right. him access to power and weapons? Uh, Mammy would later receive a notice from the War Department that her husband had been killed in army service in Italy. He was also convicted of rape. <gasps> Oh, my um, God. Along with another man named Fred McMurray of an Italian woman. They were both tried and convicted by the U.S. Army General, court-martialed, and their sentence was death by hanging. Oh, oh, so he wasn't killed in he military service. He wasn't killed service. in war. He was just killed He was in executed Italy. for being a goddamn piece of shit. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Their sentence was appealed and denied. Okay, can I seriously just say, though, like, oh, we're going to take this abusive person and send them overseas and give them a weapon and power, and it'll be fine. They'll totally get their act together now. No. No! They're just going to find more people to abuse. Yeah. Good God. I'm death by hanging. Good. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not sad. Poor Mammy, though. Like, that's got to be a a lot of complicated feelings. Right. Um, In the early 1950s, Mammy and... Her son Emmett would move to Chicago's south side. So they're moving, you know, from the little town outside of Chicago into Chicago. Um, and Mammy would meet and marry Pink Bradley. <gasps> Pink. Is that like his nickname? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have his actual first name. It just has, it just had Pink Bradley in quotes. I hope that's his God given name. And people were like, why is your name Pink? And he was just kind of embarrassed. He's like, no, it's, 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 a, it's nickname. a nickname. It's, it's totally fine. How'd you get that nickname? Well, how about this weather, man? Right. You know, for being the Windy City, it's pretty darn calm. <laughs> um, so they wouldn't, they it didn't necessarily have a tumultuous relationship, but it wasn't great, and they divorced two years later. Okay. In 1955, Emmett, the son, Mamie's son, was 14 years old, and his mother put him on a train to spend the summer visiting his cousins in Money, Mississippi. No. 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 Shut it down right now me and any other savvy listeners just had a crap your pants moment because okay. you recognize the name well okay when you said emmett i was like yeah, mm, his name no is emmett there's Till. no way god that's gotta be shit i god i totally missed that shit Okay. So Mammy's son was abducted and brutally murdered on August 28th, 1955, after being accused of interacting inappropriately with a white woman. The following month, Roy Brandt and his half-brother, J.W. Milan, faced trial for Emmett's kidnapping and murder, but were acquitted by the all-white jury after a five-day trial and a 67-minute deliberation. One juror said, quote, if we hadn't stopped to drink pop, it wouldn't have taken that long, end quote. Which makes me just want to throw scalding water on him like Mammy. It makes me want to vomit. Only months later, in an interview with Look Magazine in 1956, protected against double jeopardy, Brandt and Millam admitted to killing Emmett. Yep. For her son's funeral, uh, Mammy insisted that the coffin containing his body be left open because in her words, quote, I wanted the world to see what they did to my baby. So... I'm glad that we're not going into depth of what happened to Emmett Till. It's horrible. This is a this is a pretty uh, notorious story in American history. I remember learning about it in fifth grade. Yeah, and that actually, like, looking back, I'm like, oh, I was like in Catholic school in the you know early aughts. I'm kind of surprised that we were talking about that. Good for my school, but I highly recommend. Any, everyone, especially if you live in the United States, because this is a very important part of our history as a country, read about the story. 
be very careful with images, though, because they're bad. I will just say this wasn't like a case where they were like, oh, you know, because a lot back then, a lot of things were going around like, oh, they they raped a white woman and then they would get lynched. Yeah, we we talk about that when we covered Ida B. Wells. This wasn't that. This was he maybe flirted with a white woman. And I don't know. And got brutally murdered Or looked at her. And actually, I think, and I don't know if you mentioned this, later on that woman came out and said that, like, yeah, I have no idea who, like, nothing happened. Supposedly what happened, because I looked, I didn't didn't look at images, but I kind of, like, back looked it up. Supposedly what happened was that that he, you know, was with his cousins and some of their friends Mm -hmm. at, like, a store and Emmett was like, oh, I have a girlfriend back home. And his friends were like, yeah, right. You're not that suave. Like, go and ask the clerk for a date. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he went in, you know, bought some candy and apparently said something like, bye, baby. Or, like, you know, made some comment. Like, not even bad. Yeah. And so he made that to the woman behind the counter. Supposedly, she came back and was like, well, he gra- he grabbed me and, like, made lewd advances and wolf whistled. And then... Um, yeah, it was the person who owned the store and then like the woman behind the counter's husband, I think mm-hmm. it was, were the two people that went after him. Yeah. But it was one of those things where not that that would justify no. what happened to this literal child, but nothing actually happened in the first place. No. Nothing. And poor Emmett, he was coming from the North and was not necessarily, privy to the these like unwritten social mm. rules between black people and white people in the south so apparently someone wrote a book called the blood of emmett till a guy named tim tyson and apparently carolyn bryant the woman that was behind the counter did eventually come back recant her testimony admit that till had never touched threatened or harassed her and said quote nothing that boy did could have ever justified what happened to him there's a there's an article. I keep trying to find the actual article so I can share it on our social media. But it was talking about it. So it was written by a black woman. It was talking about uh, the Me Too movement mm-hmm. in reference to the power that white women have had in the past to victimize black men. Yeah. And this is a prime example of that. And it, it, it wasn't saying like white women aren't allowed to be outraged or, you know, talk about being a victim of sexual assault. It's basically one of those things. We need to check our privilege. Right. And also be very conscious of the history behind trying to empower ourselves and each other because that power has not always been used for good. It just really makes me wonder because there were no witnesses. It was just him and her in the store. So like, I want to know like what made her say that? Like when her husband and the proprietor came back later, like what made her just randomly be like, Oh, by the way, she's a piece of shit. I know. Just, Oh, that just anyways. So horrible things happened. Um, So tens of thousands of people came and viewed Emmett's body and photographs were circulated around the country. This, I got to say, this was like prime Jim Crow territory. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've talked about that many, many times. So I'm not going to like go into that. Terrible. The South was terrible back then. That's what we're going to say. We're going to move on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Through the constant attention it received, the Till case became emblematic of the disparity of justice for blacks in the South. Definitely makes sense. It was it was kind of one of those things where Emmett Till's case was not unique, which is tragic in of itself, but it got a lot of attention and kind of brought to light what was happening. Well, in particular, how Mammy treated it, that she was like, I'm going to do an open casket because I want people to know what happened to my son. He was 14 or 15 years old. You know what it makes me, what it reminds me of? Um, Jackie O, after her husband was assassinated, she refused to take off the little pink suit because she's like, I want them to see what they've done. Because she was covered in blood and brain matter. And yeah, it's, it's like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide this. Like, right. like this every, happened to me. People need to become, people need to reckon with what has just exactly. happened. So the NAACP uh, asked Mammy to tour the country relating the events of her son's life, death, and the trial of his murder. It was one of the most successful fundraising campaigns that the NAACP has ever done. I can't, um, I can't even begin to imagine the strength it took for that woman like she's endured 
literally every parent's worst nightmare, losing your child. And in the, just one of the worst ways imaginable. Oh and for no goddamn reason, not that there's ever a reason. And then for her to step up and be like, I want them to see what they've done to my son. And then right. to and even then go, go on a to tour, go on a tour of the like, entire country and be like, I'm going to talk about this. You don't get to ignore this. You don't get to forget what happened mm. to this child. Um, since her son's death, um, and the symbolic nature it took on many of the many lynchings going on in the South during the mid 1950s. As we mentioned, his was not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of history books that refer to Mammy only in reference to her being Emmett's mother. Mm-hmm. However, um, even outside of Emmett's death and the activism she did for that, she did other activist work as well. And she did a lot of things in her own right. Um, a large part of her work centered around education, particularly Mm -hmm. for African-Americans, obviously. And she would work throughout her life to help children living in poverty, which, I mean, Chicago, especially in the 1950s, 1960s, was definitely a hub for that. Well, especially in predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, And her activism for children living in poverty and their education would last for over 40 years. Like, so, like, that was kind of what she did with her life after her son's death honey i just want to give her a hug oh she would go on to establish a group called the emmett till players which worked with the school children outside of the classroom oh these members learned and performed famous speeches by civil rights leaders such as martin luther king jr and you know white civil rights leaders like anyone but obviously you know it kind of did focus on african-american civil rights leaders such as martin luther king jr well and what's really cool about that is uh we talk about how representation is very important and for these children to be hearing very empowering words but from people like them has got to be really critical because i'm not i'm this was the 50s so tvs were maybe not as accessible it was probably mostly radio. Yeah. I don't know how well, you know, these civil rights speeches were being broadcast on radio because they were kind of controversial for the time, which is insane. But so for her right. to be, you know, exposing children to that, empowering them, and then also kind of putting those ideas in their head, like we are equal, you, you know, we need to fight for what's right. Right. Um, so she was also a very sought after speaker, even after her like tour of talking about her mm-hmm. son. Um However, she didn't tour again for the NAACP because they had a a business dispute. Well, particularly she had a dispute with Roy Wilkins, who was the secretary, over her payment of her being on tour. Okay, so they weren't, like, paying her properly? Yeah, they weren't probably paying her properly. So she, after her tour about Emmett, she was like, I'm not going to tour for you guys again. Like, you're not treating me the way I should be treated. But she, okay, that is the. I know. Are you fucking kidding me? Um. Well, and I like I said, she her thing wasn't necessarily against the NAACP in general. It was against their secretary, who was probably in charge of shit. But dude, come on, fucking grow up, right? So even without their support and without their like backing, she became a super popular speaker. You mm-hmm. know, both about you know things involving her son's death and about just education for the poor African-American children in general. Mm -hmm. Um, She would fly down to Mississippi and give testimony at the trial of her son's murder, like later, because obviously fucking murder trials take forever. Now they do. Um, (laughs) And she was able to use her role as a mother to relate to other people and gain support for her causes. Cause she, you know, like, she was a mother, so she could speak to children needing education. She, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Well, we even see that now um, parents whose children ha- children have been victimized mm-hmm. make some of the, the strongest advocates because they've lived it. Right. And they, they have that really personal connection to trauma, and they're able to relate to other people who might be going through that trauma themselves. Exactly. And this is a kind of trauma that, like, no one should ever experience. I I I could not properly empathize with it just because it is so beyond anything I have ever experienced. Right. Um she did go back like in some of her later speeches, she did talk about how um telling her story really like an Emmett story really helped her process 
the tragedy. Oh, honey. She would go on to marry for a third time to her boyfriend, Gene Mobley. Please so, tell me he's not a piece of shit. No, he's not. Thank you, God. Um, so in the end, her name was Ma- Mammy Till Mobley. So she mm-hmm. had a hyphenated last name, which I, I I understand. Like, yeah, that was your ex-husband's name, but at the same time, it's It was like, also your son's exactly. last name. Yeah. So I think it's... I. I understand why she kept it. You know, mm-hmm. like that makes a lot of. I feel like it's more an association with her son versus her ex. Right. Yeah. Um, she would go on to um, enroll in Chicago's Teachers College and would graduate in 1960. So not only did she advocate for it, she actually went back to school, graduated, and then worked as a teacher for um, 23 years. Mammy is like peak mom right um so in the late 1980s emmett's story came out as a part of a major pbs documentary and the first for the first time many white americans started seeing the images of emmett's battered body the way the black american public had seen decades earlier oh my i didn't know that because if you think about it who's going to be publishing those pictures it's going to be the african-american media yeah well because we talked about i don't remember what episode it was but ida b wells when she was trying to like blow the lid off of the truth behind lynching and how especially in the north North, a lot of white citizens were like, oh, well, that pro- that person, that sucks, but that person probably did something to warrant such a violent right. response, which, like, God, does that sound if, familiar? If that woman said something, like, clearly th- she must be telling the truth. Yeah, like, oh, she's saying something against a black person. Uh, yeah, well, we know how right. they are. Like, no! <laughs> so, obviously, when that documentary came out, the public wanted to hear from Mammy, and she contributed as much as she could, and to her dying day, Mammy believed that her mission was to tell Emmett's story, which is really like heartbreaking, <laughs> like that in just... a good way though, you know, like, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, you should have never had to go through that. I'm glad that she was able to find some peace and some purpose in that tragedy. Cause kind of like you said, her retelling the story helped her process it. And that's actually like, Obviously, Kelly, you know this. That's a non-uncommon practice in therapy. Like even recording yourself recounting a trauma and then listening back to the recording to almost... It helps you process it, but it also helps you normalize it. So it's not... So you can accept it as a normal thing and then you can like move past it. Right. But like you said, obviously that is not something anyone should have had to go through. It's terrible. And the, the fact that she found so much power in it and that she found purpose is a testament to how much of a badass she is. Right. So in 1976, she would actually go on to obtain her master's degree in educational administration from Loyola University in Chicago. Oh my God. She was still teaching at the time. She would teach until 1983. In 1992, um, Mammy had the opportunity to listen to Roy Bryant, which was one of the guys that killed her son, (laughs) um, as he was interviewed about his involvement in her son's murder. With Bryant unaware that Amanda, or sorry, Mammy, Amanda's the person I'm covering later, um, that Mammy was listening, he asserted that Emmett had ruined his life. He expressed no remorse and stated, quote, Emmett Till is dead and I don't know why he can't just stay dead. If I was Mammy, I would have gone up, like I would have come out from behind a curtain like in fucking, um, like Maury and just bitch slapped him across the oh, face. Yeah. It should it should have been a Jerry Springer episode. She could just throw a chair at him. Sir, kindly go fuck yourself off of a cliff because the world does not need you right Why now. Why don't you die and just stay dead? Oh my god. Uh, oh, he's he's upset because he murdered a literal child and no one and it was acquitted and no one let him forget it. Go fuck yourself. Right. What a it's goddamn terrible. and the fact that he can't even like evolve beyond that you know that he can't be like wow i really did something horrible and that's fucked he can't right. even pretend he can't even like he's so selfish sorry. yeah he's, he's just so like selfish. my life was ruined because of this little boy that i murdered yeah like oh my god he just came into my life so i could murder him and he yeah. ruined my life like what it makes me want to stab him to be it, perfectly honest it honestly it, it's very upsetting when we hear about people like that just be existing in the world. And that's 1992. We yeah. were one. We were in the world. So complete side note, but related. So I had to take a personality test for my class yesterday. 
And like one of the questions was like, I have never wanted to be violent toward another person. And I'm like, mm, false. We all have. Come on. I'm we like, all have. I have a podcast where we talk about some really horrible people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we've all had that. It's really, it's. Well, and I, it's, I think it's one of those questions that's kind of because a lot of personality assessments have the questions that are kind of a, are you answering to appear too good? Mm. And I think it's one of those questions. It's, it, it's a trick question because anyone who says no, they're like, that's a sociopath who's pretending to be a person. Or sometimes people have them like in a custody case, they'll have people take them and then it's like, okay, you invalidated your own results because you tried to appear to be too good of a person. Yeah. And nobody is that good of a person. Yeah. Anyways, um, so Manny and Mammy and Jean, the guy she had married later in life, remained mm-hmm. happily married until Jean's death from a stroke in Mar- on March eighteenth, two thousand. I'm so glad that like she found yeah, a happy she finally, relationship. Like, and it's I didn't read too much about their relationship because most of the stories talked about like her activism and yeah. stuff. But I mean, it sounds like because when they got married, they were dating, so it sounds mm-hmm. like they actually like dated for a while and then um got together so they were married from 1957 until 2000 oh my god so seven years short of 50 years um Mammy, i'm so happy so yeah you. i'm really glad that she got to spend like half of her life probably like with someone that obviously treated her well because oh. she went through shit. Um, so Mammy would die on January 6, 2003 of heart failure at the age of 81. Oh, my God. The same year, her autobiography that she had been working on for years before her death, um, which was co-written with Christopher Benson, um, which was called Death of Innocence, the Story of the Hate Crime That Changed America, was published. So it came out the year she died. Um Mammy was buried near her son in Burr Oak Cemetery, where her monument reads, quote, her pain united a nation. I'm going to cry. I know. Oh, my God. Like, I, I'm familiar with the story of Emmett Till and the grave injustice that befell him. But other than her Mammy wanting an open casket and being like, they need to see what they did to my son, which I has always struck me as really powerful. I didn't know a lot about her. Like she was the first black student to graduate from her high school that she was incredibly intelligent, that she got her master's degree, that she was a total activist beyond this tragedy because we always hear about her in reference to that tragedy. And that's why I wanted to cover her. Um, Whoopi Goldberg announced in 2015 plans for a movie called Till based on her autobiography and her play, The Face of Emmett Till, it does. So I, I looked it up, and it does look like it has been made, and it's currently in post production, expected to come out in October of this year. There was, um, crap, I can't remember the show because I purposely avoided it because I wasn't in the place to have an emotional breakdown yeah. on Hulu where they were, uh, they, they like profiled her and I, I think it was a drama. So it wasn't like a proper documentary, but they kind of like told her story. And I remember seeing the side by side picture. I think Are you about to talk? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to shut up. Um, <laughs> Mammy is portrayed by Adrian Warren in the six part 2022 television drama, women of the movement. There we go. Um, and then a woman named Danielle Deadweiler is who is going to play her in the drama film that is coming out this year. That is amazing. I'm. How bad would you feel though, like being the white woman? Like I would be like, I don't, I don't want that role. No, thank you. I like, like, but it, I mean, like, someone has to be in that role. Oh, obviously. And so in a way, it's like you know, you're doing it because you know this story needs. Like that's the only reason I would do it. I'd be like, I don't want to do this role, but this story needs to be told. So, okay, so I thought you were gonna. I thought you were saying like, how bad would you feel if you were that white woman that accused? This I mean, child I of- really hope she had some serious mental issues later in how in life due to her guilt how because do you, that is a terrible thing how do you find redemption from something like that i don't think you do i uh, that just it was it was stupid it was unnecessary and it was just so brutal and violent and just god bless mammy for taking the worst thing that a parent can imagine right. And I, finding I both, strength and purpose in it. I both want to read her memoir, her autobiography, and don't. 
I, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's, it's that double-edged sword. Whereas like, when am I in an emotionally stable enough place to subject myself to that kind of horror? But at the same time, it almost feels like our duty as Americans to bear witness in a way. Right. Like, obviously we, I mean, I, I'm, that we might can't be, do anything, but we that, can remember his story and her story. That might be my, when I go back to work in the office, that might be my like lunch reading. Cause then I can mm. take it in like short 30. Cause I'm only going to take 30 minute lunches. I, I can take it in short, you know, 30 minute bursts versus, yeah. you know, doing what I normally do and staying up till 2 a.m. and like finishing a book in two sittings. So I don't think this is the type of story to do that. I actually, I learned that lesson the hard, the hard way. I finished The Kite Runner by, uh, I think it's Khaled Hosseini. Um, seriously, I, I it's highly- It's a great book. It's an amazing book, but it is Rough. absolutely heart-wrenching. So I basically finished the second half of that book in one night. I stayed up all night reading it. And I had a very strong and unstable emotional reaction. And I was in, I was in Illinois and I cried the entire like eight hour drive back to Minnesota. It was bad. I think in high school I did that with like a child called it. And I was like, this is a bad idea. Oh my God. That's a tragic, that's, mm -mm, mm -mm, that's, that's mm -mm. a tough read. Anyways. You know, Who are you covering? So just really quick, I just want to kind of pass on some wisdom that my therapist taught me. Um, so there was this extra, I, I kind of like spilled my guts during a session and it was very emotional. And she kind of taught me this exercise to help kind of do a reset so I could like get back to work and move on with my life without feeling emotionally drained. And it's kind of, it's just meditation and you close your eyes, you take some deep breaths in for about 10 seconds through your nose and you let them out through your mouth and you imagine a box and the box can look however you want, be as big as however you want. And you think about all your baggage and all the things you're processing that you're not going to ignore because that's not healthy, oh, yeah. but, you're, but gonna you're going to save it, it for box. later. Yeah. It's it. You deal with it exactly later. The, the technique you're talking about. Yep. But go ahead. Well, I, I thought our listeners might enjoy it because I'd never heard of it yeah and so you just kind of imagine all those things and you're putting them in the box and you're doing your deep breaths and once the box is full once you've kind of put everything in there that you need to put in you close the box you do some deep breathing and then you can open your eyes when you're ready and move on because it's not ignoring the issues it's not stuffing them in the back of the closet to never deal with them so they can fester until they come out in really unhealthy ways it's I have done some work I have had some emotions. I'm going to put these away and I will deal with them later because I need to go back and do something else. And I was just, I was like thinking, I was like, this would be, have been great when I was reading Ruth Coker Burks's memoir because that emotionally destroyed me so many times. And right. I was like, I don't know how to get on with my day and live. But yeah. Okay, so I am covering someone uh, whose story is not as heavy so I'm going to have the Good. palate cleanser for the day. Mine is a little more like raw, raw empowerment. Not that Mammy's wasn't, but there was a lot of emotional devastation in your story. So today I am covering Isabel de Olvera Ooh. in a story that I call I Demand Justice. Uh, that, it's a theme. It is a theme. It, it, it Honestly, like seriously, we're glowing. So much glowing. Over. So much ovary glowing. So Isabel de Olvera was born sometime in the 1500s in Querétaro, Mexico. Ooh. So we're going way back, which means yeah. there's not a ton of documentation. Love, love her, that. Her father, Hernando, was a free black man, and her mother, Magdalena, was an indigenous Mexican woman. I couldn't find her specific background because she was just referred to as like an indigenous Mexican woman yeah. constantly, which could have been a number of things, but right. this is what we have. So we don't know much about Isabel's childhood or her life, but she must have been quite the adventurous spirit because in the 1600s, an expedition was being organized to settle parts of what was known as New Spain, specifically present-day Mexico. Right. So this was an interesting part of history that I had no idea about. New Spain was a part of Spanish colonization efforts and actually encompassed Mexico and the southwestern United States, Florida and Central America and northern parts of South America. So like go like 
south of North America, down, 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 down to parts of North, Northern South America. That is a huge fucking territory. And they called it New Spain because no one was creative. I mean, we said New York and New Hampshire. Yeah, we and have all a those. lot of news. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not throwing shade. I'm saying Little no shade. one was creative. We weren't. They weren't. No one was. So basically, after Cortez wiped out the Aztecs in 1521, this was the result. Like they took everything over. Way to wipe out a whole civilization for a territory that none of us have even heard of. Way to go, Cortez. Right, you dick. So the point of the expedition into New Spain was to help settle the recently conquered territory. So it's like, okay, we control these areas now, but to maintain that control, we need to have people living and working the land because otherwise it's just hanging out there. There was just one little problem for Isabel, though. Even though she was a free woman, she knew that as a black woman, any man she ran across on her journey could basically say dibs and enslave her as property. Ew. That's just gross. I, literally, the next two words are fucking gross. So much glowing. It's we're super on the same page, and I I hate that we're on the same page with all this like nasty shit we're talking about. So to prevent this horrific possibility beca- from becoming a reality, Isabel petitioned the mayor for documentation proving that she was a free woman and permission to join the expedition, which sucks that she had to do that. And it sucks that she's like, mm, well, if I leave the safety of my town, any dude can basically call dibs because I'm a woman of color and have no rights. But she's a badass because she's like, mm, I'm gonna do it anyway. And this is where Isabel enters the historic record because through her historical divinity, her petition has survived. Quick note, uh, what I'm about to read includes some language that was common at the time, but is outdated. Um, Obviously, I would never say like the N word that is not used in here, but just just be be conscious. This uh, this bit of text is a product of its time. So her petition read, quote, I am going on the expedition to New Mexico and have some reason to fear that I may be annoyed by some individual since I am mulata, and it is proper to protect my rights in such eventuality by an affidavit showing that I am a free woman, unmarried, and the legitimate daughter of Emendo, a Negro, and an Indian named Magdalena. I therefore request. Magdalena. I'm sorry, I love that's such that a name. name. I know. I therefore request your grace to accept this affidavit, which shows that I am a free or that I am free and not bound by marriage or slavery. Super gross little note that the, that she's like, I'm free and unmarried and I'm not bound by marriage or slavery. It's just creepy how those two things kind of like go in the same bucket. I hate that. She goes on to say, I request that a properly certified and signed copy be given to me in order to protect my rights and that it carefully, it carry full legal authority. I demand justice. Full fucking stop. Right. And I feel like that we think of, when we think of black people in North America before the American Civil War, there, we think of, you know, enslaved people. And free people. But even as a free woman, Isabel is forced to demand a document from the mayor to keep anyone from claiming her as property just because of the color of her skin. That's so gross. Just because of how she looks. like, you. Yeah. But this written request wasn't enough. It did take eight months of legal proceedings, which included sworn testimony from witnesses who testified that Isabel was, in fact, free and worthy of being granted the mayor's permission to go on this expedition. So... you, you can't help but see, like, ripples of the past in today where she doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. She has to prove that not only is she free, but that she's, like, a halfway decent person who deserves to go and do stuff. Right. Like, uh, no, she doesn't, get, she doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. She doesn't get grace. She has to prove it. Bureaucracy, a tale as old as time. Sign on the dotted line. Forms in triplicate. Try not to lose your shit. Bureaucracy. Actually, I think I meant to uh, sing that as the Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. Tale as old as time. 
Sign on the dotted line. Forms in triplicate. Try not to lose your shit. Bureaucracy. That was beautiful. There we go. I wrote these notes a while ago, so I don't remember all my <laughs> references. Yeah, remember that panicked end of the episode where I was like, I gotta go to class. Yeah, oh, yeah. This, this was supposed to be done. <laughs> I don't know if you left that in on that I episode. I did. I 100% did because I just want people to know, like, what we're we doing don't to bring you this our shit together. <laughs> But yeah, just the idea that she had to put so much effort into proving that she was independent and worthy of like living her own goddamn life just leaves a layer of filth on your brain that doesn't wash off. So after eight months, Isabel was allowed to join the expedition, expedition serving as expedition. a... Expedition. I like that. Expedition. Totes of props for the expedition. So uh, she was serving as a Spanish woman servant. So she wasn't like doing anything glamorous, but she was doing what she wanted to do and like getting out and having an adventure. She traveled nearly 1,400 miles across difficult terrain, which included rivers, deserts, and mountain ranges. Plus, there was a rock in her shoe the whole time that she just couldn't seem to get out. Does that ever happen to you where you're like, I've shaken my shoes out three times and there's still a rock in there? Yeah. That's just what I imagine. It's terrible. Like... This expedition was not for the faint of heart, but unfortunately, all we know is that Isabel died sometime in the 1600s Aww. in New Mexico, so at least we know she made it. After her demand for justice, there really aren't many surviving records of her. And really, it's it's her request for this affidavit that puts her in the historical record that somehow survived, and we know her by, which that blows my mind, that just a, a request like that exists from the 1600s. Her story is important nonetheless. It gives us a glimpse into the lives of black people in North America and people of color in general that isn't centered around the transatlantic slave trade. It also illustrates the long, painful history of women of color having to fight for their rights, freedom, and fair treatment, which is still a thing that's happening today. Yeah. As for Isabel herself, she is a shining example of a woman who refused to be limited by racism and is only one in a long line of women who have stood up to demand justice. Mike drop. And that is the story of Isabel de Odera. Oh, I like that. I thought it was really interesting. It was a shorty because obviously there's not a ton of information on her, but I just, I love this idea that she's trying to do something difficult that's made even more difficult because racism. And she's like, I'm going to still do it. And also her affidavit is just beautifully written in my opinion. Yeah. Like, and I love how she's like, I have some reason to fear that I may be annoyed by some individual. Like that reminds me of something my mom would say. Like when she's like being polite, but super snarky. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, oh, I love it. I love that too. That's amazing. That was, that was great. I I'm glad it. I decided not to cover something super emotionally draining. Yeah, I got that covered. Pretty yeah, good. no, you uh, you got our heavy hitter for the week, and <laughs> now we all need to cleanse and drink some wine. But honestly, I'm really glad you covered that story because I didn't know anything about Mammy outside of that she was Emmett Till's mother. And God, she was so much more like she just did so much. And even even before this tragedy, like what a little badass. Right. I love her. So, Kelly, what am I thankful for? Please tell me. I need to know. Um, well, I'm thankful that I got a new job. I was really not that I love my coworkers and stuff, but I was super burnt out at my last job. I'm, I kind of touched on it here and there. Um, so I got a new job. I start Monday and I'm really excited about that. And, um, also one of my classes finished. So I'm really excited <laughs> about that too. And you were so close to the finish line. It's like one more semester and then your practicum, right? Mm -hmm. That is insane because I literally, I remember us walking around downtown in the summer before you started classes and you were, you were anxious. I'm like, oh my God, two years, like. It seems so far away. And then COVID happened. And it was like, oh, but that's time means nothing anymore. Right. I love I love the sentiment. I read it online where it's like, oh, but that's going to take this many years or that's going to take this long or I'm going to be this old when I finish. It's like, yeah, it's that time's going to pass regardless. So you might as well do something with it. I I'm agree. So proud of you. Just do it. Do, it. do the damn thing. 
So what I am thankful yes. for <laughs> is thankful? not as big of a deal, but I ordered a sofa. It and looks really nice. I'm really excited. So I have actually been shopping for a sofa for I think like three years. It now. kind of reminds me of our sofa down here, but like a two cushion instead of a three. Yeah, yeah. So it so basically I have been wanting a new sofa for many, many years, but then I was waiting till I got a house and then I got the house and then it was always kind of a joint decision right. slash purchase. Your sofa wasn't like super shitty. But it wasn't super great either. It's just not big enough. Right. It's, it's a little love seat that I got for a studio apartment. Exactly. It's it's served its purpose beautifully. And it's actually held up very well over the years. But the point is, the the decision of buying a new sofa and what sofa to get and the comfort level and the, all of that was a joint decision with me and my partner. Since that is no longer a thing, part of my coping mechanism is to just buy my goddamn sofa. And I seriously, it took me like an hour. It was amazing. And it was very freeing. Like I'm getting something for me based on what I want in a look, in a feel, in a price. It was also like $500 less than I was ever planning on spending. Did so that was awesome. Wayfair? No. Okay. Cause no. I couldn't, I couldn't tell by the screenshot you sent me. Cause I'm like, I always find like, I always see the ads that they're like, Wayfair is so cheap. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's super fucking not. expensive. Oh, God, no. And I like, like looked at a bookcase on there once and they were like $500. And I'm like, I can go get one for like 25 bucks at Target and it looks fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got this uh, from Ashley Furniture, which is oh, where I got I my love, love yep. seat from. That's and like I said, that thing has held up amazing, especially because my dogs and now my cat have just made it their mission to try to destroy it. Yeah. They do that. But it was it was kind of one of those things where, you know, when any big change in your life comes with messiness, you know, there, there there's a loss when something changes, but there's also a lot to be gained. And that was one of those ways I was kind of like empowering myself to gain and look on the bright side. So I'm really excited. I was like Snapchatting all my friends. I was like, I got a sofa. It's, it's beautiful. The only thing that sucks is because COVID, uh, it's like a take maybe eight to 10 weeks to get to me, but that's fine because I'll give me an opportunity to buy stuff to cat proof it. Right. Because my little emotional support demon has decided that scratching anything that he's not supposed to scratch it's is fun. the way to go. I got him stuff to scratch on. My friend, Jory, what's up, Jory, even got me a scratching post that he has refused to use. Apparently that's like a cat thing. <laughs> no, no, they are. Rub, he, rub catnip on it. He plays with anything that's not specifically for him. Yep. And anything that's for him, he completely ignores. That's funny. Because he is the devil and I love him. But yeah, so I don't know. It was just kind of like a fun, empowering, like independent adult thing that I yeah, did. It's beautiful. It's like Thank when you, you bought your chair. Oh my God, my adult chair. I yeah. love my adult chair. So I just saw something and I need, I'm going to, I'm going to send it out to our followers. You ready? Okay. Sending love to everyone who wants to do better, but can't find the energy to make the necessary changes. Sending love to everyone who wonders if their exhaustion is permanent. Sending love to everyone who's tired of feeling stuck. I feel like I just got over that tired of feeling stuck portion. So <laughs> I saw this and I'm like, everyone needs to hear this right now. That hit me directly in my heart. Big time. In my soft squishy spots. My soft my squishy spots. My squeedily spooch. My squiddly spooch is feeling so much right now. I do. So that's from Invader Zim. For I was just who don't know. He like gets punched or something and he goes, oh, my squeedily spooch. I do that when my dogs jump on me <laughs> because I love invaders. Them. Oh, my God. I love it. Anyways. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at W-A-H pod. Twitter W-A-H underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. Otherwise, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of those other ones. Yeah, like uh, Sasha. Exactly. Or many other people. We love hearing from you. <laughs> we do. Um, we also have some merch, which you can find on our lovely website. There's literally just a tab that says merch. And you can literally just buy it right off our website. You don't have to go to anywhere else. Otherwise, it is on Spreadshirt. Yeah. And I'm actually wearing uh, the Linguistic Butchery sweatshirt. I, I feel like I every time. I folded my, tank, my Linguistic Butchery tank top. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm bringing this on vacation with me. I'm, I'm so going happy. to Florida. And I'm like. This is coming with me. I feel like I am constantly referencing that I'm wearing this sweatshirt. And that's because one, it's super cold here. And two, I fucking it's love so this thing. It's so comfortable because I have the, um, 
I have one of our, the other sweatshirts. It might be our logo. It's the, when the going gets tough, yeah. the tough gets tipsy. Yeah. And I love it. It's so comfy. It just is in the wash. So I'm wearing yeah. my Minnesota sweatshirt. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh, we also have a Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1. Keep the wine a flowing and um, some sweet, sweet, you know, extras. We'll, I need to get the video of our last interview out and then we're going to have one of our happenings coming up. Yes, which I am super fucking excited about. We'll talk about some of our uh, girlhood traumas. Yay! Yay, <laughs> but not in like horrible, like they're yeah, not no. horrible. It's going to be like a, a fun, we're going to laugh about it kind of way. We'll reveal the origin of Baby Shark. It's faint. What? Yeah, so every, <gasps> everyone thinks Baby Shark is like new or like within the last two years. Yeah, no. Oh. That's a lie. My God. I thought it was from that like Chinese kid show. Way before Shit, that. we're going to get real, everyone. Parents, you're going to also be reliving some trauma. Right. <laughs> well, also rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us out and it costs you nothing. Including Spotify now. Spotify lets you do rates and reviews. That's you, insane. You do have to like listen to like two or three episodes. But hey, if you listen to it for your music, you can now also rate us for your podcast if you want to listen on Spotify instead of some other app. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. You can't leave comments yet. But you can rate us. Yeah. Five Give stars. us all your stars, please. Five stars. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Her Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.